Hello, Salaamu Alaikum, Namaste and Sasriya Kaal. And yes, it is that time of the week. It's time for the Culture Pot, the show that celebrates the music, the culture and the people of the world. And today we're celebrating Wipe Down Sunday. Yeah, Wipe Down Sunday, the new phenomenon ushered into Radio Sangam from COVID-19 and its mates. No one will ever get a cold again, I don't think, at Sangam. Um, it, it's, it's a massive drama. You get in, headphones, give them a white seat, give it a spray, take got me water bottle it's a shame i used to love sangam coffee i don't drink anyone else's coffee now is that how it is for you guys what sort of change or impact have you had to put up with personally because of covid19 but we're not here to talk about covid today we're here to talk about my guest um now my guest has actually been on sangam before but when I first got in touch with her, I noticed she was a motivational speaker and I got in touch and said, you know what, hey listen, would you like to come on my show? I like chatting to motivational people, I want to help share your story. But unfortunately, one of my colleagues, my mate, my mate Farrah had beaten me to it by a few weeks. So my guest said to me, well I said to my guest, I said, oh well have you just been on? let's just give it a while and then we can sort it out so there I was this week twiddling me thumbs well actually that's not true i've been running around like a nutcase i'm ghostwriting a book for this person i'm doing website copy for them i'm teaching tai chi rushed off my feet and um i'm like oh better start thinking about a guest or a pre-recorded show for sunday next thing you know i've got this message in my facebook eh well this is my voice for them anyway hey martin do you remember talking to me you know you said to come back in a few months well i'm here now and i quite fancy coming on your show there's me trying to be cool Uh, um, mm, are you by any chance uh, free for a live on uh, on their sunday and she was so here she is she's called medea sohan sozan sorry medea sozan she's a motivational speaker and I, well, from the time that I've chatted to her on the phone and seeing her today, um, you know, you meet some people and they've got a motivational story um, and it's inspirational, but sometimes you kind of sense that they're still on the journey, that they're still struggling maybe. Um, but I've, I've got to say that um, in, in my dear's case, the enthusiasm that comes through from her and given the story that she's going to share with you, about how her life turned out. I think this is somebody who's been through a real transformation. Um, And I hope that her story helps you to transform. So if you at home who's listening now, wherever you are, um, is maybe going through a rough patch and maybe even frightened of your own shadow and wondering how, where you go from there, I I think you're in for a treat. Um, Okay, so without any further ado, let me bring her on. So, uh, Medea, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Um, you're, I, I'm, I'm very, very glad to have you. Just bear with me. I think I put the wrong mic on then. I was hearing you through my mic. Thank you very much for coming all the way over from Manchester. Yeah, no worries. It's, it's a nice sunny day. I'm loving it. <laughs> was the traffic all right? Yeah, it was okay, yeah. I've got to say, I much preferred the traffic when we were in lockdown. <laughs> there was no traffic. <laughs> Only the well-behaved people were out. Now all the scallies are out. Yeah. <laughs> For the first two weeks, there was no one on the road. <laughs> so, you know, Medea, it's clear you're very bubbly, you're full of enthusiasm, you're laughing your head off most of the time that I was introducing you. Although, admittedly, you know, I was trying to be funny. Um, <laughs> but I know that that's not how life always was for you um and as you know i like i like to look at the roots of where people come from Mm -hmm. um now you were born in pakistan i believe yes i was yeah i was born in pakistan and uh, me and my mom and dad lived with my grandma for uh several years Mm -hmm. um yeah what was life like over there uh, life over there was kind of difficult because um, we didn't have enough money. And as you, you know, in Pakistan if, or and in those part of the world, if you don't have uh, money, uh, you struggle quite a lot. Um, so, uh, you know, my mom was ill. Uh, she had hepatitis C. Um, so my dad sort of uh, moved when, moved here when I was three to create a better life for us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it was tough. It was tough. 
Whereabout in Pakistan were you living? By the way, I mean, what was it? What was the accommodation like? Create a picture for me. Um, so the, I, we were living in Rawalpindi. So I was born in Rawalpindi, and um, yeah. So the house we had a, um, a the house was okay. It was uh, my grandma's house, mm-hmm. um, and it was it was quite a big house, but. Um, you know, like in Pakistan, there's like broken bricks and <laughs> things like that. Right. Yeah. So it was. It wasn't like a mansion or anything like that. So it, you know, for me it was because I thought it was awesome. It's massive, but it doesn't matter about the bricks on the floor. <laughs> so it wasn't. You know, you weren't. It wasn't exactly dire poverty. You weren't cooking outside on old no, tires no, no. or anything like that. No. But all the same, life was a struggle. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. By the way, I got caught out by the slider. I knocked it down and realised I'd knocked my mic down. <laughs> I'll never be one of those radio presenters to pretend to never make a mistake. <laughs> I make them all time well that's great so that they were the first seven years of your life and and you know from what you said to me the other day um it, it was quite an insecure period as well i guess because you, you must have been aware that you know your mum and dad were struggling and all the rest of it and you know it must have been quite difficult with your mother being ill how did that how did mother hubbards i'm really really sorry for that how did that impact on you um quite a lot i think you know when my dad moved here when i was three um as you know, around that age, you you want your parents with you. Um, so I was away from my dad, and my mom was in and out of hospital all the time. We didn't really have enough money to pay for her treatment. So it's not like the NHS here, you know, you get free tr- treatment, you have to pay for it. Yeah. So those who have money in Pakistan, they do well. Um, so... Uh, yeah, she was struggling hard, and I remember, like, um, you know, she was so ill. We had the whole neighborhood uh, gathered in in our house, um, and I was only, I think, about three, four, or even four. Um, you know, she was on the on the bed. She was like vomiting. She was throwing up. She was uh, really extremely weak, and everyone thought that's it. She's gone now. She's gone. Um, we can't. We can take her to hospital, but she's. She. You know, she was. Really, really, really in bad shape and I remember very clearly um, my cousin coming up to me and she goes to me um, you know she's going to be okay everything's going to be okay but you know that I was my heart was just pounding like you know seeing my mum like that and all the all of the neighbourhood yeah. um, so it kind of does leave sort of a, we think that children forget things but they don't it kind of leaves a trauma inside of you it kind of you know gets buried deep inside of you Um so yeah that was one of the memories that just stood out when you asked me this question how long did that go on for um for several years um to a point you know my grandma couldn't look after um me and my mom anymore so um we my auntie took us in so my auntie and her husband took us in and my grandma went and lived with my uncle uncle and um so it was kind of easier at that point uh, so up until from four to seven uh, we were living with my auntie and her husband Okay, well look, I'll tell you what we're going to do We're going to have a, a minor break We're going to play a track uh, The next one in the system that we've got is Run by Belle Biv DeVoe uh, I've got no idea if it's a great track So uh, let's just uh, listen to it with an open mind Yo, take the window lock off man. This is crazy Okay, welcome back to the Culture Pop with Martin Morrison, who's just figured out how to use the sliders again after some time pre-recording shows. Um, finished wiping down the studio. My guest today is called Medea Sozan. She's a motivational speaker. She's been talking to me um, about what it was like to be brought up in Pakistan um, under quite poor conditions. Um, so, Medea, your dad had left Pakistan to help make a better life for you guys when you were three years of age and uh, I think that really compounded things didn't it and you know in terms of how tough things were for you you were talking to me a little bit about it so tell me about your earliest memories of 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 life in Pakistan knowing that you know your dad was over here um so yeah it was uh it was okay I mean you know I used to play cricket a lot with the with the boys and my mum did not like it because you know in our culture if you uh, girls play with guys no (laughs) it's a no no um but um other than that you know uh, it was kind of rough because you know I wanted my dad with me uh he used to play cricket with me and um and yeah so especially in school I was 
uh, afraid to go to school because one of the teachers was quite abusive. Um, you know, she would uh, get me in front of the class um, and she would ask me to read something. And if I, if I couldn't, if I made a mistake, she would punch me right at the back. Um, and, you know, and she would hit me with rulers and she would uh, slap me, send me out of the class. And, you know, I was the only person that she was like, uh, tr- she was treating that way. Um, so... Uh, but that, around that time, you know, I used to be so afraid. And every morning, I remember my uncle, uh, my mom, and uh, my auntie used to like run after me in the morning, uh, trying to get, get get me to wear a uniform. I used to cry everywhere, running here, running there. So they used to chase after me. They couldn't understand why I was afraid of school. But you know, I knew what was going on, but I did not understand what was going on. You know, um, they. I told them I don't like this teacher. I don't like this teacher. But uh, they didn't really understand. They didn't understand. Neither did I. I just didn't under- like that teacher. I thought it was normal for her to hit me. You yeah, know? yeah. And you know that's something else I wanna I wanna ask about because I don't want you to reveal too much of your story yet in terms of how things start to develop. But obviously, the Medea that I've known in the short time that I've known you is fully, full of enthusiasm, very happy, very bubbling, a very, I would say, spiritually awakened person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just wondering, when I look at my own story, despite the hardships of my own abusive childhood, I saw glimpses I could looking back now I could see glimpses I could be very independent minded I could be very fierce when it came to fighting against injustice what were your personality traits when you were a kid um I was yeah I was quite fierce as well as mm-hmm. you um I was um like like I said I was quite rebellious I yeah. used to you know play cricket with the guys so if my yeah. mom didn't allow it what I used to do I still play cricket with the guys but um every time my mom used to pop her head out the the door I used to sit leave the ball oh, but I'd just play with the with the rock or something um but yeah so I was quite uh, confident um used to be it was so boiling hot in Pakistan in, during summer I was the only kid outside playing, just playing, <laughs> just doing things. And yeah, I was like, you know, I was bubbly. Um, I, I smiled. At, I was I was known as the smiley girl. I used to smile at everyone. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was quite um, quite the leader in that sense. Um, I'm not surprised by that. I'm used to, you know, guests messaging me beforehand the show, but I've never been called bro by them before, apart from Vaj Silverfinger Singh. He calls everyone bro, though. <laughs> and she called me bro online. I said, so you can't call me bro. I'm old enough to be your dad. You have to call me papa or uncle. But you haven't called me papa or uncle. No, I suggested I should call him granddad. <laughs> Granddad's fine. I feel like it. Right, I'm going to stick another track on. And uh, it's a lovely uh, tune. This is it's Say It Right by Nelly Furtado. That's not true. You do, wrong radio. You do have to say a word. So that's Body Language by Tyrese. I've interrupted. Sorry, Tyrese and Taraji P. Henson. Um, okay, so if you've just joined us, I'm chatting to motivational speaker, my dear Sozan. Um, my dear, welcome back to the show. Thank you. And thanks very much for making the effort to come because, you know, I think it's a 50-mile trek for you or something, or 30 mile? Uh, I think so, something like that, 40. Quite, quite a long way to come. Yeah. So um, we've looked at, like, you know, early childhood and, you know, like a lot of children, I think, you, you, you showed a lot of natural resilience, boisterousness, confidence, leadership qualities, you said, you're into your cricket, um, but already... Things were starting to pile up on you. You know, your mother's very was very ill with uh, hepatitis C. Your dad had moved over here to make a living. Um, you know, you were being singled out by a teacher. Those sort of things could start to weigh you down in the end. And your mother made a decision to bring you over here. Um, so take it from there. Yeah. So yeah. So around the age of seven, um, you know, my mom was like, you know, we're gonna, you know, my auntie and uncle and my mom was packing, and I was like, what's going on? What's going on? And it's like, we're going to see, we're gonna go live with your dad. It's like, yeah. I was so excited. Um, 
So yeah, we moved to the UK, and I remember like um, at the waiting um, to see my dad um, at the airport. It was just uh, incredible. I fell asleep because I, I was awake throughout the journey, so excited. But when I got to the airport, I was so worn out. <laughs> I fell asleep. Just the adrenaline. Rush. Yeah. So um, so I just um, ended up like you know I opened my eyes and I was in my dad's arms, and that was the most precious moment ever. You know, I hugged him so tight because um, I haven't seen him for like what four years um, and I missed him so much you know he used to call you know from back in those days they used to have phone booths right so we used they used to uh, put what 20p or 30p in the phone booths and then they call they call internationally um, so I used to like wait uh, every like every day for a like you know a certain amount of time so oh when when is my dad's gonna call me when is my dad's gonna call me um, so yeah it was around the age of seven you know we moved uh, to the UK um, and then it was kind of difficult at first because um, uh, I didn't speak any English uh, my first language is Urdu um, and you know uh, my dad my parents were still struggling mm-hmm. uh, they were still struggling for money and my dad was wor- working multiple jobs here um, and um, he um, we had I remember we had a um, uh, we rented a house and um it was only us and we lived um we were in the living room because we didn't have enough money to pay for the heating or the bills uh in winter um you know we had one bed and one heater in the living room um so because i used to move around so much my mom and dad were like you know you can have the bed well they they slept on the floor they gave me the bed um and um yeah so to me that was still luxury luxury life because you know i never seen a proper built house you know we were living in a house even though it was cold um i was really grateful that we had something you know Um, i think i underestimated what you were saying to me about your life in pakistan then you were living in a house but when you were talking about rocks and rubble you mean Mm. the actual house itself was coming to bits yeah yeah it was very old house (laughs) yeah wow yeah yeah there's an important lesson for everybody there about appreciation, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, you know, when I was here, I didn't. Um, I was so grateful that we had uh, something, and I was even more grateful that I had my parents. You know, uh, we used to play Ludo. You know, Ludo is quite popular in Asian household. Uh, I didn't know did, that. Yeah, really, Ludo and carrom board, uh, two of the games that we used to play a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, I was just so grateful. And my dad used to take me to the park every day. We used to play cricket together. He used to train me. Yeah. You're an all-rounder, you've said. Yes, I'm an all-rounder, yeah. <laughs> so would you say then you were daddy's little girl? Yeah, absolutely. My dad used to spoil me so much. <laughs> so my mom used to be like, what are you doing? We don't have money for like, you know, back in those days, McDonald's. Or we don't have money for that. And my dad used to just go, just take it in the room and eat it. <laughs> I, th- I think what's come through from you, though, is it was the time together. Playing yeah, cricket, absolutely. Ludo, board games such priceless things aren't yeah they? absolutely yeah you know when i think about my kids now they they sit there they're messing around with software on the mm. computer mm. and i'm not sure it's that healthy even though they're doing the homework as well they're just sitting there in front of a screen oh yeah you yeah know? it's so important to um t- for youngsters to be out in nature um because that's um you know they're sort of youngster nowadays are detached from all of that and that's why a lot of mental health issues are on on the arise because us sitting in front of the computer all day long playing games is not our natural state of being yeah i agree with yeah i mean the guy i'm writing for used to zone out he was a height he would hyper focus mm-hmm. late at night and go on the computer and learn how to do stuff like software and you know he's ended up a, a very very successful person so i think sometimes there's a time in a place for it mm. but you know he was also a gym goer as well mm. and what what i've done with my kids now i get up at like seven o'clock every morning and i go out to the park to do my tai chi and they have to come with me <laughs> but i've got to say they're buying into it they're yeah, liking it amazing so um tell us a little bit about um what it was like going to school and hanging around with other kids with with uh, english as your second language in fact not even your second language to yeah. start with it was uh, at first it was quite difficult because um obviously um 
I didn't speak English and the kids, uh, I didn't make any friends either because I kind of came in later on mm-hmm. um, and they were already friends with each other. So they were like, it was like, it, feel, it felt like going into a tribal. <laughs> they all look at you, who's this new kid? Um, but, you know, I, like I always say, my only friend has always been like sports, like football, cricket or anything. Every time I, uh, I'm stressed out, I run towards sports. Um, it's such a great way. So, you know, when we used to have PE lessons in school, um, I start, you know, I started playing cricket with them and, um, I quickly became quite popular. Um, and one of the teacher went up to the head teachers like, you need to have a look at this girl. She's really good. A uh, head teacher came in and I was like, uh, I was hitting sixes, taking wickets. And, um, he's like, you know what? Uh, we want to get you into the next, um, next match. Are you available? I was like, yes, I'm available. Uh, but we need to have permission from your parents. Now, my parents were like, you should not play with guys. You should not touch a guy. <laughs> so I was the only girl in the team. So it wasn't the fact that you were a bit boyish and playing boys sport or what they might have seen. That wasn't the issue. It was no. the mixing with boys. That yes, was the issue. it was. Yeah. And and it's quite it's quite common in, in our culture anyway. Um, normally, girls don't mix in with the guys. So... Um, so I think I think they're kind of afraid. Oh my God, something bad might happen. But you know, it's uh, it, it's just a what if thing thinking, right? Um, so eventually, the head teacher came to um, our house actually, and he, he convinced my mom and dad to let me play. Um, so I did eventually play, and you know, when I remember walking out, and these because it was all guys, even the um, the the opposite team, they were guys. Um, they started laughing at me. It's like, what is this girl gonna do? You know, she, you know, she's, you know, she's not even, probably not even strong enough, and you know, um, and is then this football and to or cricket, or? cricket. Sorry, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was mainly even your team was mainly boys. Yes. Okay. All of it. All, all of it. Right. All of it. Guy- I was the only girl. <laughs> I was the only girl until I started hitting sixes. Uh, that's when every all of. All of them on the ground started worshipping me. <laughs> I was um, made woman of the like match or something, and it was just incredible. I just loved the under underdog <laughs> being an underdog. That's fantastic. Okay, so um, how about like how did your life unfold academically during that period as well, and what was happening at home with your mother's health and things like that? Uh, yeah, my mum was still ill. Uh, she was um, still in and out of uh, hospital, but this time she was getting treated for it because you know here, thank God for NHS. Um, uh, so. Um, we, then we discovered, properly discovered that she had hepatitis C. Now in Pakistan, we, they didn't, they couldn't pu- put a finger on it, what was going on with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, and then, uh, yeah, so it was, it was okay. My mom was in and out. She was, they were just, my parents were just really, really stressed, stressed out because of our living conditions. My dad was really stressed out working so many jobs. Um, so, you know, the stress wasn't helping her hepatitis C. Okay, listen, it sounds to me at that stage that you were still, you know, battling through, still quite resilient yourself. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really helped you to, to transform later on. Yeah. Um, but before we continue with the story, let's listen to another track. This one's called Don't Want to Write This Song by Brett Young. Okay, so sadly, because I like this song, I like it, by Cardi B, Bad Bunny and J Balvin. I'm going to have to continue with the interview, but that's the good news, isn't it? Because we love our interviews. So, um, my dear, tell us um, a little bit more about how your life unfolded, because what I've seen so far is somebody who has got some ups and downs in life, and the illness, your mother's illness, is never too far away. But I'm still seeing a very resilient Medea Zorazanne. But I think things started to increasingly started to bring you to a head because there's only so long you can go on dealing with stuff through doing sport and whatever. There's only so much pressure. So I want I want to bring us to that breaking point, if you like. Mm-hmm. So more hardships were to come weren't they in the house yeah so um around the age of 13 you know what before that life was was great i was reunited with my dad and you know we were happy we were happy family um um when i was 
13, my dad um, was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and um, it was, at first, my parents didn't tell me uh, what was going on um, because they didn't want me to worry. And I was only there, like 12, I think. Um, um, and, um, yeah, so when they eventually told me, uh, it was like, um, at first, I didn't think of cancer as a serious illness. I thought it was just one of the illness. Uh, people get treated for it. They will. She, he will survive it. Um, but I did not know that, and my parents didn't tell me the, that my dad was only given about a year or two to live. Um, and yeah, so that was that was really rough. It was really rough. So there's the actual being told he's got two years. He's got this illness. You don't know what the full impact is, but you must have seen. You must have seen the impact. What impact did that have on him? And his health and how he was living. Oh yeah, it affected him so much, especially mentally. I mean, uh, he just uh, gave in. He was depressed a lot. He was, uh, you know, he just thought that's it. I am not gonna survive this. And um, you know, he was in that mentality. And I used to see him. Um, you know, on his worst days, he used to roll on the floor, um, like crying in so much pain. Um, and he used to be vomiting and, you know, because of the chemotherapy and all the um, medications that he was on. Um, so that from happy place to quickly turned into uh, an, a nightmare. It was like I was living in uh, eye, eye of a storm. That's what it felt like. Yeah, I, I think I'm reading between the lines here, my dear, because this is what I do. It's it, it, what what I'm about to say is not something you've said to me, um, but f from what I'm sensing here, um, you're very close to your dad. You've missed him every day while you're in Pakistan. You've come over to England, and you are gaining. Before you were gaining strength, even just from the phone calls. Mm. And then you were, he was almost like your power supply as a kid. Hmm. And he was the one, you know, go and have your McDonald's in your room, mm -hmm. don't tell your mom, this sort of stuff. Mm. So when his light started to get dimmer, hmm. your whole existence yeah. was under threat. Every, yeah, it was. Um, and uh, I just, I did not know how to help him because he was in so much pain um, and, um, you know, he was in and out of hospital and my mom got even worse as well. Um, not just with the hepatitis, but her, the anxiety. My mom started to have anxiety and depression herself. So our household was, um, you know, if you would have walked into our household, you would sense the energy that was, it was, it felt dark. It felt really dark. Um, because my dad was in a bad place. My mom was in, in a bad place. And I was in a bad place. I was, I, at that point, I, um, I did start suffering from anxiety myself oh, what age were you then uh when he was diagnosed with cancer i was about 12 okay yeah it's quite a key important age you're, yeah. you're finding yourself as a woman aren't you you're entering into puberty becoming an adolescent formative years yeah so what was what was starting to happen in terms of um your dad's interactions with you for example your mum's interactions with you and your interactions with the outside world um, my dad, my mom and dad, uh, the household suddenly went quiet, completely quiet. My dad didn't used to speak a lot. Um, uh, even when he did, um, he would try to get, you know, uh, take me to the park and just say, let's play cricket. But then he wouldn't be able to run or bowl or bat, um, because he was in so much pain. So, I noticed that. I noticed the energy of, you know, how it was before and how it was after he was diagnosed. Um, and in school, um, I, I'm, I think around that time I was in high school in year seven. Um, and um, I didn't really tell anyone uh, what was going on at home. Um, I, I, only a couple of people knew, but I didn't really tell anyone. And I, I think throughout my childhood, I've always kept things in. Um, and I've always been like a people pleaser sort of person as well. Um, you know, if, um, I, because I had so much strength, 
to keep it in. I didn't want to burden other people of my problems. And I used to listen to everyone else's problems, but never tell anyone my problems. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Okay, and um, at that point, let's listen to a track. Okay. Something positive. We've got mm. Need a Dr. Clean, Dr. Dre featuring Eminem. Welcome back to the Culture Park, the show that celebrates the music, the culture, and the people of the world. To the caller who tried to call in, um, you know, I'm, I'm technically backward. I don't do the telephone thing while I'm on the radio. Um, but listen, feel free to text us or WhatsApp us on 07444-549-947 if you'd like to. No, that was completely wrong. That was me getting an old moment. Um, 07444-202-155. I wish I could say it was good to be back, which it is, but uh, I'm feeling chipply incompetent. My guest is laughing her head off. So, um, Medea, we, um, we finished on, you know... <laughs> We were getting to the bottom of your story. There you are, confident kid, brought up in Pakistan for the first seven years of your life. Life is hard, but you have just got this very strong source of energy, I think, the, co- the closeness to your dad and, you know, just your own inner strength. But gradually, when you come over here with your mum being ill and then your dad having cancer, it's starting to weigh you down. And just, um, you know, we were, t- we were chatting off air before, um, you're somebody who would tend to keep things to yourself. Your outlet was sport. Your dad was trying to put a, br- a brave face on. So although you'd see the pain, he was still trying to play cricket. Your mum had been playing that game for years because she'd been so ill herself for so long. So there was no one, there was no expression going on in your house. Nobody ever cried and said, I can't take anymore. No. But things were incredibly tough for you. Mm-hmm. How were you coping? Um, I it I started to suffer from anxiety because I was keeping so many things inside of me, um, and um, my anxiety got so bad, and I used started having panic attacks in school, um, and the te- some of the teachers were aware of it. At this point, I was in high school; um, they were aware of it. Um, so they I used to be um, they were they allowed me to go into school um, half a day at first um, because I was in coping I was I was almost failing at everything um, and it, it still um, PE was my favorite lesson in school because it was sports I used to play cricket in the ground and sometimes I used to even forget that I used to eat like you know it, it, kids used to go in and eat and I was like I forget like I, what do I do what do I, do I eat or do I play cricket uh, sorry football um and uh, yeah so uh you know i was at that point i was really really struggling to cope um at home and uh, school uh was uh, rough as well cuz i was failing and um what were these panic attacks like it's it's like it's like having a heart attack but it's not a heart attack it was like i used to shake i i used to go out of breath and i just felt like um i was i felt like someone was strangling me um and um and you know when the worst thing about panic attacks is if when you have a panic attack you're afraid uh of what people might think you know um so i used to be so afraid not to have a panic attack in school um so cuz i didn't want other kids to see me uh like that um and because i was doing that i was suppressing that pain it made it even more worse because, you know, I would build myself up to the panic attack. I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, what if I have a panic, a panic attack in English class? What if what if this happens? What if that happens? And um, eventually I would build it up and it, it would happen. It would happen. And then would you crash out for several hours and have a sleep afterwards? That's one of the symptoms of it. Yeah, you feel really, really tired uh, after that. Um, and I would just, it would just totally knock me out, completely knock me out. So, um, meanwhile then, so this is how you were coping. What about friendships? I mean, I know you were somebody who was very compact anyway, in your own way, self-sufficient. But did you have friends, and um, were they noticing what was going on? Um, I did have friends, but I didn't have close friends. Um, that's the theme of uh, of my life. Um, I've had friends, but I've never had close friends. Um, and they knew what was going on, but they didn't really, because we weren't that close, they were... Um, 
they showed me empathy. They, sh- they, this, you know, they, they even told me, you know, uh, we're here for you. But me not being able to open up, I wouldn't say anything. I would just always be that smiley girl. Um, even some of the people that they were around me at that time. Now, um, looking back, because um, I, they got in touch with me. It's like we never, we didn't even realize that this was going on with you in school, um, I, because I didn't say anything. Um, so they were there for me, but uh, to a point. But like, they always saw me smiling and cheerful. They thought, you know, she's okay. They didn't really think, oh, she's hurting inside because I didn't show it. I was always smiling and laughing. And and of course, you know, looking at it from a psychological point of view, there was more reason why you would put the brave face on and because there was a kind of role reversal going on in the house in a way because your mother had been sick for so long. Mm. Then when you'd moved here, your dad would have been, he was the main parent because he was the healthy one. But now that he had the cancer, in a way... You were the only one there who was physically capable of helping out the other two. So I think that you had a lot of weight on your shoulders, a lot of responsibility. Yeah, quite a lot of weight on my shoulders. Um, I was trying to be strong for both of my parents, but... um, It it wasn't um, you know I wasn't able to because I was only thirteen you see like you know um, a thirteen year old uh, can only do so much um, and you know my mom uh, but some some of the days like my mom and dad because um, they didn't they didn't tell me the bit where he's you know he's gonna die. They just told me he had cancer, he's suffering. Um, So they kept a lot of things inside of them, a lot of things inside of them that they didn't tell me about. So um, it must have, you know, eventually it must have been plainly obvious to you that he was dying. Um, If you can, talk us through that the last days or weeks. Yeah, so... um, you know when um when just a month before he passed away he was in so much pain so he had to be taken into hospital now at that time uh um do- the hospital wasn't taking him in because they said like you know it's not it's well he it's a serious condition but we can't take him in so we had the doctor gp come in in our house and you, he was arguing with the doctors in hospital to take him in because you can't just leave a dying man in in just like that He's suffering. He needs medication. He needs he needs care. So they eventually did um, uh, get him to hospital, and um, I was told, "Well, he's just he will get better. Don't worry, you know." And I was I didn't at that point I wasn't worried. I thought he's going to hospital. He'll be okay. And um, and as soon as uh, about a month later, um, everyone was around our house, even my cousins and every like my cousin from Birmingham. Um, and my mom's eyes. Um, my mom came up to me and she goes, um, "Your dad stopped breathing, um, and his doctor said he's only got a couple of days to live." I was like, "What?" Like you, I, I was like, "Wait, hold on a minute." You were just. Talk- I was speaking to at that time. I um, I was afraid of of hospitals, so I didn't go in hospitals because I used to have panic attacks in hospitals. Mm. Um, so my dad said, "Don't stay at home. I'll talk to you on the phone." He was cheerful, he was happy, but then when my mom gave me that news, that's it. Gone. Okay, we are gonna have to go to the ads. We'll be right back. Uh, I had a few mic problems earlier on. I hope you can hear me. I think you can, and I think I could hear myself on the headphones, but it was a little bit quiet. Interrupting Gimme All Your Loving by ZZ Top there. Great song, but the show must go on. Um, my dear, we reached quite a potent point before the ads. Um, you know, w- things were coming to a head in a way. Your, your dad, you know, your mum comes home one day from the hospital. She's had a call and she says, you know, your dad's not breathing. Presumably, he's be- you're being put on a ventilator at that stage and a machine was doing the breathing for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So, um, 
And, and what happened from there? How many did, did he did he start breathing again at any stage, or um, was that the end? Yeah. So um, uh, I think I eventually went to the hospital. Mm. Um, they did take him off the machine because they said he's only at that time he was like he's only got a couple of days to live. We can't do anything for him. Um, so uh, when I went into the hospital, obviously not seeing him for a month. He was healthy when he went in, went into the hospital, but um, when I walked in, it was it was horrible sight because I could see his bones. There was he was weak. His beard was growing. His hair was growing, um, and I was just the shock. I was shocked at the state of him. It was um, horrendous, um, and it's, I still see that image every time. And you know, he was on morphine. Um, Sorry. He was uh, he was on morphine, and um, I at that time I'm I'm a huge Man United fan, so um, uh, you know um, uh, that year I think Man United won uh, the um, Premier League, and um, I went in with a United hat. And it's like Dad, Dad, guess what? Um, he's like like he could, he couldn't speak, but is you know he is like what? And I was like, um, Dad, Man United won the Premier League, and he was like, Oh my God, yeah, like. It, Obviously not very like um, like cheerful, but like he put his like thumbs up and he like gave me a thumbs up, um, and um, yeah, that was the last memory I had of him. And uh, during that time, I just um, said to my dad, I don't know, I just felt guided to say it. I just said to him, Dad, um, if I've ever hurt you in any way, please forgive me. Um, and he just smiled and he just said, um, no, it's okay. You're, you're my child. Um, that was the last conversation that I had with my dad. Um, and I just, I just ran out of the hospital. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to see anyone. I didn't want to talk to anyone. Um, and it is a really, really weird feeling when you know that you'd, someone you love is going to die and you can't do anything about it. Um, and then just a couple of days later, he passed away. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. So, what was how did your mom take the news? Um, my mom took it quite hard. Uh, she took it really, really hard. I mean, um, it's it's quite funny. I was the opposite. When he passed away, I felt numb whereas my mom was crying she was able to cry you know in our asian household when someone passes away um a lot of people from the community come and um you know uh be with you uh but i was just happy cheerful for first couple of days giving everyone food i was uh, making jokes and they were looking at me funny but i felt great in that moment i don't know why um but when they went that's when it really hit me that's when it really hit me that's when i just fell on the floor uncontrollably crying um it was like a delayed reaction um yeah it sounds as though you got so used through life to being a performer yeah. in a way the, the show goes on that you just slipped into a kind of automatic pilot role when you needed to yeah and I suppose, though, on the other side of the coin, you had kind of made, not that you ever didn't have peace with your dad, but it's nice that you got the conversation that you wanted. Yeah. Did you sense when you had that conversation? I mean, it sounds as though you did. Did you sense that that was going to be the last conversation you'd have with him? Yeah, that was. Yeah, it had that feel to it. It just had that feel to it. And I just, I wasn't even thinking about it and. I just it just came out and it was like you know I believe in you know your gut feeling your intuition and it just uh, I just had that gut feeling to say that to him um, and it's yeah and when you fell apart did your mum come to your rescue or was she in too much of a state herself no um, quite the opposite actually um, she um, six months after mm, my dad passed away she fell 
ill again. Uh, but this time around, she she um, she she had a rheumatoid arthritis attack, mm-hmm. uh, severe rheumatoid arthritis, and within months, her fingers started to bend really really quickly. And doctors were quite worried, uh, but at that time. Um, she was already bed bound with depression, but then she, you know, she had the news that oh, she she's got rheumatoid arthritis now, and then she was just completely bed bound. Um, you know, I was looking after her for for I became the young carer really at the age of fourteen, um, and I remember very early on um, d- during her illness when she wasn't able to move I used to um, I went in a room one day and I just completely um, froze um, I did not know what to do I, I, I didn't know whether she I uh, give her uh, food or should I uh, help her up or um, it's a 14 year old kid like you know what, what could you do I mean your parents look after you right um so I just ran to my room and I just started crying so much. It's like, you know, at that time I was questioning God. It's like, you know, our household is like, you know, Muslim. Um, so as I was questioning God, it's like, you know, if God was real, why would you make me suffer? You know, what is the point of this? And um, I've had a lot of anger inside of me um, that I, my life is sorry my life is over that's what it felt like uh, my dad is gone my mom is ill uh, and I'm her, I'm her carer and I'm the only child I don't have any siblings um, so I was I was an angry child that first really angry really angry at God mainly at God so why did you do this to me let's listen to a uh, actually we've got some ads we'll be right back this is Radio Sangwin. This is Martin Morrison on The Culture Pot, the show that celebrates the music, the culture, and the people of the world. Um, so, Medea, thank you again for coming on the show. We're, we're, we're reaching your lowest point, really, and, and, and then the last half, no, the last half an hour of the show, we'll be focusing on, on how you've unfolded since then. So how bad did the anxiety get? Talk us through it. Um, so it got to a point where I started to have two, three panic attacks a day. Um, and, um, and it started to affect my everyday life. So I was cooped up at home for literally, that was my life for 15 years, really. So I was, um, used to have panic attacks and my, like, stomach was always upset. And, um, and it was just me feeling really frightened to be alive I didn't want to be here my dad like he's like I said my dad's gone my, I'm caring for my mom and I just felt like a huge wall uh, was taken away from me and I felt like I had no backing I was the only child child we didn't have any family support so um, to a point uh, the anxiety got to a point where I could not even leave the house um, every time even if I go to my garden I would have a severe panic attack um, and um, I used to have community befrienders I'm so so grateful that I, ha- I had them in my life because they used to come in every single week um, they, first they would take me to my garden and then they would come again and then they'd take me to the street and then they would come again and take me to the park. That's how bad it was. I couldn't even go to Tesco's or uh, do my shopping. Um, and it was, it just felt like I was living in my own hell, basically. It sounds like it. It really does. <laughs> Things eventually came to a head, didn't they, with that? With the panic attacks? Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, it was, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Sorry. Let's put a track on. My poor Medea. So sad it wasn't Medea's fault. She tried to answer the question and nothing was coming out through the mic. Technology, you can't live with it. You can't live without it. Anyway, we fixed it. It was just a loose wire. So apologies there. So Medea, things came to a head with regards to these panic attacks talk us through that yeah so like i said i was suffering from anxiety and depression for 15 years um and um 
about four years ago, uh, my ch- my life changed forever. Um, I had what they call like um, an out of body experience. Now I tried to stay o- uh, away from it uh, because views on the subject is divided. So, but it kind of changed my life. Um, so. Uh, I'll just briefly tell you about the experience itself. You know, I was laying on my bed um, one evening and um, uh, I suddenly I felt like a vibration uh, within my body. Um, and it wasn't like shaking. It was like, it was like, zzz, that's the best way <laughs> that I can describe it. An electrical uh, buzzing. Yeah. <laughs> Buzz. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, and all of a sudden I felt like uh, I was separated from something. Uh, now, because of for past 15 years and prior to what was going on i didn't believe in in a god i didn't believe i was i was almost an atheist i didn't believe in anything so um at that time uh when i experienced this it was quite weird for me um anyway i ended up in this place where everything was completely white and um within this uh white light um I saw so I saw souls standing there without any physical appearance, um, and from that from from being there, from my understanding, I thought there was like souls, like you know, just without any physical appearance, basically. And um, and when I was in that state, I felt the unconditional love of something that was bigger than myself. I felt like I was home. This is where I'm originally from. And and I it was like a like a safe place. I didn't have any emotions of fear or panic or pain. For fifteen years, I was in pain. You know, um, and yeah. So when I came back, I'd remember from my uh, sorry, right. Madea, sorry, yeah. what age were you when this happened? Uh, twenty-seven. I was oh, twenty-seven. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and um, when I I remember when I opened my eyes, I felt the vibration uh, from uh, uh, from my 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 foot to top of my head, and um, all of a sudden, like my whole body was vibrating, um, and I didn't know I didn't I was I was really freaked out by what was going what happened because something like this has never happened to me before and I thought I was going crazy I thought this is uh I don't know must be some other disorder or something like that um so I kept it to myself <laughs> theme of this is keeping it to myself right so I kept it to myself didn't tell anyone um I was worried that they would think that I've gone crazy um and then uh, a week later same thing happened and um I ended up in the same place again and I just felt like a bubble of white energy around me and I it just felt like like I keep saying the unconditional love of something that's bigger than myself um, and um, that was quite brief and I came back and I remember I was that was the middle of the night actually I was half asleep and I just started mumbling out of nowhere started saying thank you God for everything thank you God for everything and all of a sudden I heard the loudest noise in my right ear that said stay positive and keep going that was the night from a person who couldn't leave the house without having panic attacks to doing everything I I couldn't even leave I couldn't even go to my garden next morning I went and did shopping without any fear I actually the first thing the second thing I did was to join the gym it was just like it was like I was given a new pair of eyes and I, that peace and that inner knowing came within me that I am not alone I am not in in this I may be alone in physical reality reality or anything but I am not alone I just felt that fear was lifted out of me I felt the inner peace and I just felt like I was surrounded by people or things that like maybe maybe god i was surrounded by god or maybe i was surrounded by source energy whatever it was it just felt amazing i felt amazing you know i've I've got to ask you because you you mentioned very sensitively earlier on and you know you you showed a lot of emotional intelligence when you said it if you don't mind me saying about how people have got you went to say sort of out of body experience or whatever but people have got different views and they have people have got different views on what's going mm. on 
but it's certainly a subject I've been aware of for many years um, and I think I might have said to you off air you know last year um, I had Dr Penny Sartori on the show who's um, one of the leading scientists and world experts on what, what we call near-death experiences and, and out-of-body experiences um, NDEs and, and, and OBEs right one thing is for sure that, that everyone's agreed on is the actual phenomena involved and what what are experienced mm. and um, you know it's strange because one of the things that she said was that you don't one does not have to come physically close to death mm. to have a near death experience yeah it can be a spiritual death it could be just a point of pressure you know a bit like the way a diamond is formed billions of years ago by intense heat and pressure something happens where the brain resets reconnects with its source or god or consciousness there's so many ways around it but i you know i've not asked you this question directly you're my witness off air but i'm going to ask you have you some have you found since that day that your intuition went through the roof oh yes absolutely absolutely and um i just have that i can even uh when something's about to happen i can feel it i can feel it and i even have after that i started to have true dreams as well like um something would i would dream about something and a week later it would happen and um I wasn't freaked out at first but then eventually I was like this is this is something that I've never experienced before. Um so I started doing research on it. You know, I started to look into it, so what is this about? And then it just it just led on to other things, finding out other things. You must read that book. Yeah. There's a few of them, but the one that I read is The Wisdom of Near Death Experiences. I've got another strange question. I've been looking at your wrists to try and sort it out. Do you yeah. wear a watch? No. Have you never wore a watch? No. Or is that right? No. A lot of people who have had near-death experiences, right? right? Honest to God, yeah. Either they never particularly wore a watch or they stopped wearing them because watches, electrical items, it can be mobile phones, malfunction around them. Really? Yeah. You you talked about the buzz that you felt. Yeah, mm. don't forget that as living beings we are highly electrically charged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um and what happens is when people have out of body experiences, this is a measurable phenomenon. Something seriously seems to happen with their I don't know what the best way electromagnetic wavelengths are supposed to happening around them. Mm -hmm. And watches after they don't wear watches it's really really common with people who have had near death really i've never i never thought of that but i never this is radio sangam 107.9 fm that's made a shiro by sly and robbie never say we don't play good music on the culture pot um so <laughs> we've um, you know we've got a really good idea of who you are now madea and um, there's no doubt about it that that's one hell of a story yeah that transformation for you to you know you put it quite well literally to go from not being able to to leave the house to even go to the garden to being not just a hundred percent how you were before but better than ever the new improved new life my dear mm -hmm. incredible yeah. so what did you do with that power right so what i did um you know for first like like i said i could, i was i from a person who couldn't leave the house and to doing everything so i just started working on myself externally i went on helicopter rides socializing um and then and what um what the the most important work that i did on myself mm -hmm. was to go within and do the and 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 heal past all the traumatic experiences so for 15 years or even before that i suppressed so many things um i just felt like that call that intuition from it, it just guided me towards going in going in and seeking who i am so every single day what i did was i sat with myself and asked myself two questions how are you feeling today are you okay and when I started asking these questions, every single thing that I suppressed for more than 15 years came up for me to heal like one by one. 
like everything about my dad, my mom, my rough childhood. And you know what? Even some of the things that I was suppressing came up for me. It just it was just random. And the the teacher's thing that I was telling you about, that just came up as well randomly. Um uh, because I suppressed it, I didn't realize that it left a trauma inside of me. Uh, until I started looking into it. F- so for two years, I did intense healing on myself and I didn't tell anyone what I was doing. I came off social media. I, it, all of a sudden, it just feels, it feels like when you go through a spiritual awakening, your old life kind of gets, uh, it comes, it comes crumbling down. So the people that I was around, it went, it went out the window. Um, and I, it was like I was forced into a corner. To sit by myself and look at this trash. That's what I did for two years. Um, And when um, all of that was done, um, I was was left at a point where, okay, universe, I don't know what to do now. I want to help and motivate people. Give me a sign. What do I do? Um, And um, it's quite funny. I, me and my friend were outside of uh, Love Attraction. We were, we were um, at Lord of Love Attraction meetup. She was talking about how she's an actress and she, uh, she gets stage fright and she wants to do public speaking. Now, I was like, what is public speaking? I thought it was something like a business thing. You know, uh, people just do at a conference or you stand in front of like, you know, your colleagues and things like that. And she goes, no, you can go on stage and share your story. I was like, okay, that's that's cool. So while we were talking about public speaking, these two guys popped out of the building talking about public speaking at the same time, and they teach public speaking. I was like, a few weeks ago, I asked the universe for a sign. This may be the sign. Um, Who were those two guys, by the way? They 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 were from uh, Speak Up Challenge. So okay. they they used to teach. Uh, public speaking um, so I I ended up on on their course um, and um, when I first started I couldn't even stand in front of five people um, you know I was I was the only girl in the in the in the class <laughs> I couldn't stand in front of the five five people because they were all business people that they were they were used to stand in front of people um, and within the three months, not only that I was doing the course, I was, I started to research about public speaking and how I can, my drive and my passion, uh, for helping people just, it just, it just felt like I needed to get my story out there. Like all these years, I went internally, didn't tell anyone what was going on. All of a sudden, when spiritual awakening happened, I felt this urge to share it with the world. Um, and then three months later of doing all the research and during the course, um, we, I ended up on a stage in front of over 100 people and I stood and I shared my story. And you know what's so amazing about it? People afterwards coming up to me and they said, I was crying with you because at that point, I've, uh, I, uh, you can even check that story out, um, on my YouTube channel. It's, Let my experience help you. Um, they, they felt so touched by my story that they, they said, like, you know, I, you inspire me to make a change in my life. And those words were precious. Amazing. I mean, I was a person who couldn't even leave the house. Now I'm front, standing in front of hundreds of, hundreds of people sharing my story. Mm. And then three months later, I ended up, uh, talking about uh, this importance of inner healing. So that was 250 people. So I had the momentum going. Um, and that went down well as well with so many people. I mean, people were coming up to me taking pictures. <laughs> like I was some, like some sort of celebrity or something. And, uh, you know, I was, I've always been like one of those people, stay humble, stay grounded, you know. Um, I just always, uh, you know, love the experience of... Uh, I just love the experience of public speaking. I felt like I found my passion. Well, you're very positive and you're very confident and you've, you've, you've given an absolutely superb story and an excellent performance, if I may say. Although performance is probably the wrong word because you, you're very much a natural. You're just you're just you. Yeah. And, and I believe that you've not only built experience now speaking to various audiences, but you've won awards as well, haven't you, for it? Yes. Um, so... Back of that, 
I was nominated for the Best Female Inspirational Person Award um, at the Oracles Award. Um, and um, uh, when um, when I was told that, you know, you're nominated for this award, I could not believe it. I was like, are you sure you have the right person? Because I can't, I don't believe this. I don't believe this. And uh, yeah, so... You know, I thought, you know, because I thought that um, I wasn't going to win this award. So I was just going to enjoy the experience. And um, on top of that, I was going to give a talk to over 200 people, which was a bonus. Right. So I went into the evening thinking that, you know, I am so grateful to be nominated and I'm going to give a live talk and I'm just going to enjoy the experience of it. Because I for so long, I was cooped up inside my house. Now, every single experience that I, I go through, I enjoy it so much, um, that, um, it's like, I, I, like, I, I'm like, I bounce everywhere, <laughs> you know, trying to get my words out here. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so when I won it, it was just incredible. I met, like, uh, Noreen Khan from the BBC Asian Network. Oh, yeah. um, and, um, you know, I didn't even know, realize who she was because, you know, when I had that experience, I stopped watching TV completely. That's, I think, I call that a side effect of spiritual awakening, in a way. There's too many good things to do. And, yeah. of course, in the end, you met Martin Morrison. Yes. I mean, hey. The legendary Martin Morrison. <laughs> the myth. The myth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so listen, um, we've got about three minutes before we finish. Someone's trying to call. If you can WhatsApp us or text us, we're on 07444-202-155. It's not a call-in show. Um, if, you could, if I could wave a magic wand now for you, um, even though we're having to do these things on Zoom, ideally, who would you like to be talking to? What kind of audiences? Um, when I'm on stage, people who are going through hard times, I want to give, I'm going to give them love and hope that, um, that during your darkest times, uh, it's okay. Let me try and explain during the, your darkest time. It's when you're going to grow the most, you are going to experience the most spiritual growth mental and physical growth during that time even though it does not feel like it and um is to is to stay in hope that everything will work out how everything is always working out how it should be looking back all those years my hardships losing my dad and all of these hardships i am so grateful that i had it i'm so grateful now it's not something that you hear from someone who says, I'm so grateful that my dad passed away the, the way that he did. I'm so grateful that I became a carer. I'm so grateful for my anxiety and depression because those are the things are going to help me to help other people. Brilliantly said. And the sign of someone who's truly spiritual. We're into the very last minute here. How can people contact you? Right. So I am, or I have a website. So it's uh, www.madiasosan.com. I am on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, Madia Sosan. And I have a YouTube channel as well. It's Mads Corner, M A D Z Corner, as in standing in a corner. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you very much for being here today, my dear. Thank you so much for having me, Martin. Do you want to say bye to our audience? All right. Take care, guys. Just keep rocking. Keep enjoying life. So thank you very much for tuning into this week's episode of The Culture Part. Um, really appreciate you listening in. I hope to talk to you with somebody else who will be special next week. Take care. Have a wonderful Sunday. Look after yourselves. And see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>